Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone here. We're going to be in John chapter 11 as we can continue on with our I Am series. In John chapter 11, we find out that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's found right in the middle of John chapter 11. But I want you to keep that phrase in mind because as we go through John chapter 11 this morning, I want to walk through the chapter and I want to unravel what I believe Jesus to be bringing and moving um, his disciples and, and, and followers to. And we benefit from the hindsight. Jesus knew what he was doing and we know what Jesus was doing. But as we meet these characters, we walk through John 11, it's just kind of important to keep in mind that the disciples and Mary and Martha and the crowd even, they don't really get everything. But in the back of Jesus' mind, I think, is this central truth that he tells Martha here in John chapter 11. So I hope you've got John chapter 11 open. We're going to start right back um, in the beginning at verse 1, but let's just open with a quick word of prayer. Dear Lord, I do thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that it gives us life, that it teaches truth. I pray this morning that your word would be honored, that we would look into it, that we would find um, life in it here this morning. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. So John chapter 11, the first three verses here of John chapter 11 set the stage for the story. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who was anointed the it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And so that's the backdrop to the story. Mary, Martha, their brother Lazarus is really sick. And being devoted followers of Jesus and knowing what Jesus is capable and and well within his means, they call for him. Jesus is about 20 miles from Bethany. It's about a day's trip. So they send someone, go find Jesus, tell him that Lazarus is sick. Because surely Jesus is going to come back and he will fix the situation. And so the messenger goes and the messenger finds Jesus. Jesus is, like I said, about a day's journey away. He's with his disciples. The messenger gives the message. Hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick. And I would anticipate that the messenger, that Mary, that Martha, that probably the disciples are thinking, hey, we're about to go back and see Lazarus because, I mean, Jesus loves this family. But that's not what happens. Jesus kind of responds in an unusual way. Look at verse 4. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, I'm sure they're a little more confused now. They're saying, well, Jesus, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I guess. It doesn't lead to death, so maybe maybe he's going to get better. Okay, and there's something about the glory of God in here, and you're going to be glorified. And I don't know how that really works with sickness or connected with Lazarus, but okay, um, maybe there's someone thinking, well, maybe Jesus doesn't really care about Lazarus after all. But we see here uh, the Holy Spirit, I think, inspires John to put this in here for our benefit. Look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that would be Mary, and Lazarus. So 
when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now this is getting weirder because now we know for sure that Jesus loves this family and Jesus cares for this family and we know that Jesus does miracles and He heals people all the time. And when He hears that Lazarus is ill, He's like, well, He's not going to die except by this point, He's dead. And Jesus knows He's dead. If you work the timeline out, basically, Mary, Martha, send the messenger... And while the messenger is on the way, probably before he even meets Jesus, Lazarus dies. And I think Jesus knows. And he's like, yeah, this illness doesn't lead to death, even though he's dead. And, oh yeah, I love them, but we're going to hang out here for a couple days, disciples. What do you think they're thinking? I'm, I'm confused if I'm a disciple. Because Jesus really isn't doing what I expect Jesus to do. We're wondering, I mean, come on, Jesus, go heal him. Don't let's, we can, it's okay. We don't, we're not, we don't even know what he's doing. He's just, I'm hanging out here for two days. Or maybe if he's not going to heal Lazarus, at least he can go see Mary and Martha and comfort them in their time of like Lazarus being sick and what we're about to find out that he's dead. But that's not exactly what happens. Jesus sits and waits for two more days. So that's day three of Lazarus being dead. And here we are, verse 7. It's the fourth day. After this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Now the disciples, being really confused, said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? So once again, the disciples are being pretty logical. They're saying, well, wait a minute. If you weren't going to go back to Judea, the area where Bethany is and Lazarus is when he was sick and ill, why are you going to choose today? Why are you going to go back? Because, Jesus, don't you remember the whole reason why we're you know, out here in the wilderness 20 miles away from the city is because the last time you were there, they were trying to kill you? And, oh, yeah, the time before that when you were there in John chapter 8, he, they try to kill you then too? That's why we're out here, Jesus. So why today would you decide that you're going back to Judea? They're just going to kill you. So Jesus answered in verse 9, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. Oh, thanks, Jesus. That clears it up. We should walk during the daytime. That's not quite what he's saying. He's not just saying, don't travel at night because you're going to stub your toe on a rock. What he's beginning to teach the disciples, because we know I am the resurrection, the life is coming. What he's beginning to teach the disciples is that the place that you need to be is walking in God's will. And if you're walking in God's will and God's plan, then you don't have to worry about it. I'm not worried about going to Judea because I know God's got it under control. I know the plan for my life and it's okay. I'm walking in the light. I don't know if the disciples really got that yet. But there's a, you might be familiar with the name Corey Ten Boom. She understood this concept that Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. She says, there are no ifs in God's world and no places that are safer than other places. The center of his will is our only safety. Let us pray that we may always know it. She wasn't always safe, though. She was helping Jewish refugees in the middle of World War II hide from Nazis. And eventually, she was 
captured, imprisoned, shuffled between concentration camps. Her sister died there. So what do you mean she was safe? Well, because safe doesn't reference our physical comfort. She knew she was safe because she was walking in the light, because she was trusting in Christ, because she was walking in the plan that God had for her. So she could say, there's no better place to be, even in the midst of chaos and torture. So the disciples, Jesus was telling the disciples in a not-so-subtle way, stick with me, walk with me, stay in the light. You don't have anything to fear. So verse 11, After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples logically, said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Hey, good deal, Jesus. He's only sleeping. You don't need to go wake him up. I'm sure someone else can do that. And he'll probably wake up on his own if he's sleeping. He's on the mend. So see, we don't have to worry about stoning and all that stuff. Let's just hang out here for another day or week or year or two. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. Verse 13, now Jesus had spoken of his death. But they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Clearest scripture we've come to so far. Lazarus is dead. No, he's not sleeping. He's dead. D-E-A-D, dead. That makes perfect sense. I'm going. Lazarus is dead. We all got to go. And then he says this, verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Wait, what, Jesus? I had you on, Lazarus was dead, but now you're saying you're glad that you weren't there? He wasn't glad that Lazarus was dead, but what did he say? He was glad for the disciples' sake, because he's in this teaching ministry, and he's about to show the disciples something. I'm glad that I'm here with you, because it's going to be for your benefit, the events that will unfold in the rest of the chapter. So Thomas, I love this verse, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we also may die with him. All right, Jesus, I'm going. I don't know if it's like he's really faithful here because later he's called Doubting Thomas or we call him Doubting Thomas. But whether he's like, Jesus, I'm with you. He's loyal and he's faithful and we're going and if you're going to die, we're going to die with you. Or it could be he's loyal, but he's just in despair. Well, I'm just going to go with you and we're just all going to die. I don't really know what he's saying here, but I do know this. And there's an important truth either way you look at it. Thomas is being loyal to Jesus. And I think what he realizes, whether good or bad for him personally, I think he understands that if Jesus isn't around not really worth it. And he's, he wants to be where Jesus is. Whether he's excited about it, or maybe he's like, well, I don't know where this is going to lead, but I'm willing to die. Thomas is saying, wherever Jesus is, I'm going. We can learn something from that. But in this, in this passage, I think I'm just so grateful for the disciples because they're human, right? They don't really get it. They're, 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 they, Jesus isn't doing what they expect Jesus to do. But I think what Jesus starts to do here is he's trying to move the disciples. And he's trying to move the disciples from questioning Jesus, 
to trusting Jesus. And so there's a lot of opportunities here where we saw the disciples are scratching their heads. What are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus knows this is going to be an exercise in trust because what's coming later, which we know, I am the resurrection of life, is coming. And he's saying, I want you to move from questioning me to trusting in me. And so before we go on to the rest of the story, I think some of us can probably identify with the disciples. Right? Maybe we know that Jesus is worth following. We, we believe. We get it. But, man, we look at the world and we see hurt and we see suffering and we see pain and we're saying, God, how are you going to use all this for your glory? You might be thinking about your work situation, your marriage, your health. You know someone who's sick. You know someone who's dying or who's just died. They're saying, God, what are you doing? Why are we sitting around? Why didn't you, where were you in all of this? Maybe you're wondering if God even cares about you or the people around you. But I think the message here that we can take is the same as Jesus is teaching the disciples. We need to move from questioning Jesus to trusting Jesus. We know where Jesus is taking the disciples. Jesus is taking the disciples to see, look, you can trust in me because it's all going to work out. And we're like, yeah, disciples, come on, get with the program. Jesus, trust in him. And so here's what I can tell you today. I don't know what you're dealing with and I don't know where you're looking at and I don't know what pain and suffering and situations that you come into this room with, but I do know this, God's working it for His glory. That there's purpose and there's plan. And the way to get there is by trusting Jesus, not by questioning Jesus. And so that's for you and that's for me this morning. But the story continues. Verse 17 Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went in and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And here... I'm like, yeah, Martha, I get it. I'm right there with you. Where have you been, Jesus? We told you that Lazarus was sick and the messenger came back and you said, yeah, this illness doesn't lead to death, but Jesus, he's dead. Were you wrong? I don't get it. Jesus, if you were just here, he didn't have to die. But you decided to hang out over there for two, three, four days now. Jesus, where have you been? She's understandably hurt. She's understandably grieving. I think sometimes we have questions, and that's okay. And then she comes to verse 22, and she says this, But even now I know, whatever you ask from God, God will give you. It's kind of an interesting verse here. and I, This is like a glimmer of faith. Like, well, Jesus, like I know God will let, if you just ask him, but really what I think is happening here is she knows what she's supposed to say to Jesus. I think she, she knows how to sound religious. 
And I think she's a believer. I think she has faith in Jesus. But I think it's kind of just wrote, well, God, can't you do something or ask God to do something? And I think that builds here in a second. In verse 23, so Jesus responds and he says, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, well, I know Jesus. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha replies with the truth. Martha replies with what Jesus himself had taught, that there was going to be a resurrection of the dead and he would bring those back to life. But she's missing Jesus in front of her and what he's really saying, Martha, your brother will rise again. Like, just hang on a few more minutes. Your brother will rise again. Well, yeah, I know he will at the end. It's kind of like another one of these platitudes. And sometimes we do it too, and especially funerals. Well, one day you'll see them again. And we, it's true. I don't know if it's helpful because I think, I think Martha, if she's human or maybe I'm just me, but when Jesus is like, well, you're going to see him one day, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, I know I'm going to see him one day, but he's dead today and I'm hurting today. And if you would have just been here a couple of days ago, we wouldn't have this conversation, Jesus. That's what I think this is here. And so Jesus looks at her in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And before we get to Martha's response, just take note of here is the text, here is the Main thrust of what I think applies to everyone across the board in this passage. I am the resurrection and the life. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Well, first, I think he does mean, I bring hope to your brother Lazarus and everyone who is dead and everyone who will die. Jesus being the resurrection and the life means that everyone who believes in him will never die. This is the truth that Martha's holding on to. I know one day I will see Lazarus again because I believe and I will be with him. We will both be raised up on the last day. But Jesus isn't just speaking about a future promise. A future promise of a resurrection and a future promise of eternal life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. As in, Martha, I am standing right here before you and I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not talking about the future right now, Martha. That's true and that's good and I want you to hold on to that. That's hope for you. But I am standing here in front of you, Martha, and I am the resurrection and the life. And what it tells me is that this promise and this truth is not just about a future promise, but it's about a present reality. When Jesus says that everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, that implies that everyone who believes in him immediately begins to live in light of eternity. And it's something that affects our every day and gives us hope for the future. But the other thing that is true in this passage that's inescapable is the fact that this future promise and this present reality 
cannot be found outside of Jesus. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We cannot experience either one of those things if we don't know Him personally. So Martha was focused on the truth of the future resurrection, but what she missed was the application that was standing right in front of her. And I think where Jesus wants Martha to move is moving from an intellectual faith to an intimate faith. And the truth that Jesus is revealing to Martha is you can not only know these truths in your head and hold them for the future, but you can experience these truths now, today, in your present. Why do I say Martha has an intellectual faith? I think she believes. But I think it's a lot of head knowledge. And I think it's a lot of stuff that she's learned and picked up, but it hasn't quite gone as deep as Jesus is driving her to go in her faith. And I say that because if you look down to verse 39, Jesus is about to perform the miracle of all miracles. He says, take away the stone because we know he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But there's one voice of objection. Do you know who it comes from? Martha. And do you know what she says? Don't move the stone. There's going to be an odor. He stinks, Jesus. Don't roll. What are you doing? And this is what we see. Martha was correct about God listening to Jesus. Martha was correct about the resurrection of the dead. Martha was correct about Jesus being the Christ. But when it came time for the promises of God to impact her present reality, her faith was exposed and she says it it turned into a practicality. Wait a minute. Jesus asked, do you believe this? And Martha kind of sidesteps the question and answers, yes, I believe you're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the one coming into the world. This is a profound statement. It rivals Peter's confession of faith. It's absolutely rock solid and true, and I believe she believes it. But Jesus asked her, do you believe this? Do you know this? But I wonder, before we get too hard on Martha, if we display some of these tendencies in our life. Especially here at Chapel of the Lake, a lot of us, we grew up in church. We know church. We go to Sunday school. We memorize Bible verses. We help at VBS. We sing songs. We, we know it. We believe. We believe that Jesus is our Savior and he, we believe that He is the resurrection and the life. But maybe sometimes you come in here and you see someone who's just connected with worship and you're just like, man, I don't, I don't know what that is. Or you, or you hear about how someone is talking about how God is just working in their lives and they're, they're experiencing this walk with Him and you're just like, hmm, yeah, I read my Bible. Or maybe you hear someone praying and just the, as they pray and, and lift up their voice to God, you're saying, man, I don't, maybe... I'm missing something. I'm not saying you don't trust in God or you're not saved or you're not a Christian. But I just wonder if there's a place where we can move deeper. I wonder if there's a place in my life, in your life, where we can take the things we know and the intellectual faith and we can drive them deeper into our heart. 
where our faith becomes more of an intimate faith with the person of Jesus Christ as if he was standing in front of us saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Could we have a conversation with Jesus if he walked in this morning? Jesus says, everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life moves us to knowing him more intimately today. I need to say what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, but for me it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. The story continues. We're in verse 28. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The same complaint. The same words of Martha. Their sisters, they had just been mourning their, their brother. This was obviously a topic of conversation. If only Jesus was here, we wouldn't be in this situation. But notice, Jesus responds differently. He doesn't engage her in an intellectual debate. He sees Mary where she is. He looks at Mary and she sees that he sees that she's broken. She's hurting. She's crying. She's grieving over the loss of her brother. And look what Jesus does. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. I think this is so significant. Because in just a few moments, Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't go to Mary and say, Mary, stop crying. I'm about to perform a miracle. It's not that big of a deal. Don't worry about it, Mary. I'm here. I can fix your problems. Don't worry. Just trust in me and everything will be good. That's not what Jesus does here. I think there's a pause here. Where Jesus sees Mary, who's at his feet, weeping. He doesn't try to explain away her pain. He sits with her in it. He stops. And he looks around and he sees the brokenness, that sin and sickness and death. And he's moved. Stirred up inside. I don't think he's angry at death. He's using death to bring glory to God in this chapter. But I think he sees the people whom he loves most hurting. And it cuts. Yes, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't feel emotion that he can't relate to our pain, 
that He doesn't know our sorrow. It brings Him to tears. He weeps. Some of us are like Mary. We're coming to Jesus and we're saying, I'm broken. I'm hurt. There's stuff I don't I don't know how to deal with. I don't know what to do. Jesus. If you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be feeling this way. Can you help? Can you fix it? And I think that instinct is good. To go to Jesus. Mary's instinct was to go to Jesus. To bring our sorrow and bring our pain. I think he called us to it. But when we consider this in light of Jesus being the resurrection and the life, I think he's still moving us deeper. And I think he's moving Mary to go a little deeper. Instead of looking to Jesus for comfort, it's a mover to finding Jesus as her comfort. And that there's a difference there where we don't just go to Jesus expecting Him to fix our pain, but we go to Jesus because when we're with Him, He is our comfort. The person of Jesus is our comfort. He just doesn't fix our problems. And that, I believe, is what we can learn as well. Jesus should not just bring us comfort, but Jesus should be our comfort. The story continues. Verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? There's always somebody. It's got to be a critic. No, oh, there's Jesus. Well, you're going to fix that guy, but look, can't even fix Lazarus. I don't know how Jesus did it. And there's always going to be detractors. Someone's going to bring negativity in, question Jesus in your life, question the presence of God. And all I would say is, do what Jesus did. He ignored it. He doesn't even say anything. Verse 38, Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Verse 39, Jesus said, Take away the stone. And here's where Martha says, Oh, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus looks at her and says, Did I not tell you? That if you believed, you would see the glory of God? No one questions that. So they roll away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for I know that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! Guess what happened? Lazarus bounces out of the tomb. He's tied up, he's wrapped up in linens, and he literally hops out of the tomb. The man who had died came out. What a profound statement. The man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him. Let him go. 
What a remarkable scene. This is the culmination of what Jesus is moving all these people towards. He not only said, I am the resurrection and the life, He just raised a dead man from the grave. This illustration, it backed up every word of truth. I am the resurrection and the life. The disciples were challenged to move from questioning Jesus to trusting Jesus. And so now, as they're standing and they're looking at the dead man risen, they start to understand and it starts to click. Oh my goodness, this is what Jesus meant. Now I understand how sickness and death can lead to the glory of God because what an event that can only be credited to God and is seen here in the man and person of Jesus Christ. I'm pretty sure their trust deepened on this day. Martha was challenged to move from an intellectual faith to an intimate faith. And now she has not only brought face to face with the face to face with the person of Jesus, but she is now standing and talking with her once dead brother. She couldn't deny that Jesus brings power not only for the future, but for her present reality, because here he is standing in front of her. Martha understood faith a little deeper that day. Mary was challenged to move from just looking to Jesus for comfort to finding Jesus as her comfort. And we see evidence just the next chapter over in John chapter 12 of this exact thing. Mary's faith deepens. We find her at the feet of Jesus once again. She has broken open an expensive thing of perfume And she's washing the feet of Jesus. Do you know what I think she's thinking about? Jesus. Jesus. That's it. Because she's realizing that her comfort, her identity and everything about who she is, is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. She has found out what intimate faith really looks like and the sufficiency of Jesus. And as we end, we see the last group. There's a last group here. It's in verses 45 and 46. There's a crowd. This is the crowd of Jews that follow Mary. They're mourning. They expect to just see her go bury or mourn for her brother. Then all of a sudden they see this happening. And we're saying, man, if I was there, I'm believing. Every person should believe in Jesus. 45, many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and seen what he did, believed in him. They did. Many did. But, verse 46, some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. You know, some people today say, man, if God would just give me a miracle, I would believe. I don't think you would. And this is why. We're saved by faith. We're saved by grace. There's many who saw it and believed. There's some who didn't. And the question ends up before every one of us, do you believe? Disciples, do you believe? Martha, do you believe? Mary, do you believe? Crowd, do you believe? Lord knows Lazarus believed. Do you 
believe. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't haven't experienced the resurrection and the life, if you don't understand what this future hope is and this present reality is, talk to someone today. Make today the day you know this Jesus who brings life to the dead. If you are a believer, if the answer to do you believe is yes, my next question is, where is God moving you? Because the answer should be deeper. Maybe it's in one of those things. Maybe, like me, it's probably in all of those things. Deeper. How can I then pursue God to go deeper? Dio Moody has a great quote. Pretty famous, maybe. You've heard it. He says, back in the 1800s, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe a word of it? At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is, all out of this old clay tenement, into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. I was born of the flesh in 1837. I was born of the spirit in 1856. That which is born of the flesh may die. But that which is born of the Spirit will live forever. You know, D.L. Moody, he ended his time on earth in 1899. But that was just the beginning of his eternity in heaven with Christ. Don't miss that this morning. Musicians are going to come and we're going to sing the new doxology. And as we sing, my prayer is that we sing with new life. That we sing as people who were once dead and are now alive. So when we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow, we understand that it is everything and anything under the sun that God has given to us. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And then we have this tag that we've sung once already. Praise God, praise God, praise God who saved my soul. Praise God, praise God from whom all blessings flow.